Happy fall. Woohoo! Yay! Um, I'm so glad to be here. Last week, um, Eric and I had the pleasure to be in San Diego. His work paid for it. Um, not only for him to go for training, but for me to go along. And so we thought, why not? And um, we got a lot of work done. He did training. I did a dissertation work. But we got to visit the San Diego Zoo, and it was it was fun. So, But we're glad to be back this week and be with you all again. Ah, let's see. We're in the middle of a series on Ephesians. If you want to flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, you can. But I wanted to start with saying that you are made for a purpose. I hope you know that. That you are made for a purpose. You are somebody's dream come true. You're God's dream come true. God conceived you in his mind. He imagined you. And he thought, oh, that, that's good. I want that person. So he desired you and then he designed you in your mother's womb. And he designed you not just to work and pay bills. <laughs> he designed you for a good purpose. I want you to check out some verses with me. I'll put these ones on the screen. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. That, that before Jeremiah was even in his mom's womb, God knew him. And that's true of all of us. That God knows us. He conceives us before our mom even conceives us. And he has a good purpose for us. And we just see this not only like in Jeremiah, but there's a lot of people in the Bible that we hear this kind of language about. Um, there's Jacob and Esau, Moses, John the Baptist. David uh, writes this. We have his writing from Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. This is where we get that the phrase, God don't make junk. And that God, he knows us before we're born. He knits us together. And his work is good. I think that's one of the biggest lies that we struggle with. That, that we're born wrong. You know, like... God's work is good. His work is good. Ephesians 2.10 says this. For we are God's handiwork. That means his craftsmanship, his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he not just designs us to look good. You know, he designs us for a purpose. Before we're even born, he has a purpose and he plans out things for us to do. And they're good things. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God conceived you. He desired you. He designed you. And he destined you. For a good purpose. 
yet so often we struggle to find what that purpose is, don't we? Yeah, Paul's a perfect example of that. Paul wrote um, the book of Ephesians. It's actually a letter recorded in your Bible to Christians who were living in the city of Ephesus, hence the name Ephesians. And we've been studying Ephesians, and so we've kind of studied some of Paul's backstory already, that he was born into a Jewish family that had favor with the Roman elite. And so they had been granted citizenship, and and he had the best of the best education, and he was very intellectual and smart, and he he just was passionate about God's law. Just thought, if everyone in my nation will just obey God, then God will bless us and we won't be oppressed by Rome anymore. And so he was he was a Pharisee, which is basically a lawyer for God. <laughs> he he just was committed to making and defending God's law. And this is what he writes about himself to the Galatians, some Christians living in the city of Galatia. This was another one of his letters. He said, God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul recognizes that from his mother's womb, God had set him apart to preach the good news about Jesus to Gentiles. That's just non-Jewish people. And yet Paul started his adult life throwing people in prison for preaching about Jesus. In fact, he even um, approved of someone's murder for preaching about Jesus. You can't get much more far off track than that. Isn't it amazing In his desire to do God's will, he was actually sinning and doing the exact opposite. Have you ever thought about that? That sometimes in our fervor to please God, we can do the opposite of what God wants us to do. Paul was a persecutor a white-collar murderer. He was a religious zombie. So intent on God's law that he forgot the purpose of it and was actually using it to destroy people. But God met Paul where he was at. and He spoke to him and he transformed Paul. And he took Paul from being this religious zombie that just destroyed people in the name of God to being a superhero who who traveled the known world introducing people to Jesus Christ and the love of God that heals and sets free and building churches all over the place, more churches than anyone else that ministered to the poor, ministered to slaves, ministered to widows and orphans. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how far off track you've got in life. God can always redeem you. He can always bring you back. And so if you've ever felt lost, like you don't know what you're doing in life, Or you've gotten so far gone, there's no hope for you. There always is. God can bring you back. Just like he did Paul. 
But how do we find that purpose that God designed us for? That good purpose. Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 11. The Bible teaches us that the Spirit of God gives us gifts. They're called spiritual gifts. And Paul lists four, five of them, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 4. This isn't the only list. There are actually lots of different places in the Bible where it talks about God spiritually gifting people. But these five are a good place to start. So, Ephesians 4, verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So God gives people in the church, and there's five categories in here, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I'm going to break them down real quick. I'll spend a little more time on apostles because I think that's probably the word we're least familiar with. But apostles, um, it means sent ones. Your Bible, this part of your Bible is actually written in Greek, so we have to translate it. So whenever I say that word means, I'm referring to the original Greek. In the original Greek, apostle means sent ones. And Jesus Christ is the first apostle, really. Because he was sent by God from heaven to earth, to us, right? On a mission. You're sent with a mission. And Jesus' mission was to restore people to God. And that's what apostles do. Apostles go. They're sent on a mission to find people far from God and introduce them to God. Apostles tend to be entrepreneurial. They think of new ways of doing things, new ministries or new businesses to start. And God may send them to different cities or nations, but he, he might just send them to a different people group. Like you can be apostle in the city that you were born and raised in. Apostles are the ones that are like, you know, I think if I started an axe throwing club, I could meet new people who don't know Jesus Christ. Yeah. That idea came from somebody right over here. Um, or start a gym, right? That, that's how apostles think. They think about what are some new ways that I can go and meet people for the sake and the glory of God. And it's, and they don't necessarily think about how do we get people into the church. Now that's not bad. It's not bad for churches to hold events to try to get people to our building. But recognize as a church, we're the body of Christ. And it, and that means we need to look like Christ and do what Christ did. And Christ was a goer. Not a come hearer. He was a goer. He, he didn't just stay up in heaven. And say, okay, anyone who's interested, just come up here. No, he, he came down to our level. And then even when he was here on earth, he just didn't stay in the synagogues. He, he was there, but he didn't just stay there. He went and met people where they worked when they were fishing, at the tax collector's booth, at parties, in fields, in the marketplaces. 
He went. And so as a church, if we are to be like Christ, we also must go and meet people where they are living and working and hanging out. And apostles are the people that help us do that. All right, next one, prophets. Prophets are concerned with righteousness and justice. Righteousness is right living. So how do we live rightly with God? How do we treat one another rightly? Jesus was a prophet. He was very concerned with justice. He summarized justice this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's justice. That's living rightly. And and Jesus cared for the outcasts of society. You know, he cared for the women and the children and the lepers and the tax collectors and the prostitutes, all those people that society just oppressed or overlooked. Jesus was like, no, come here. And he gave him places of honor. Jesus was concerned about oppressive economic systems. He challenged in the temple courts how people were being taken advantage of when they would come sacrifice to God. He was a prophet. And so if God has gifted you as a prophet, you are a a person whose heart starts to beat when you hear about injustice and things that are not right. And you advocate for those things. That's what prophets do. Evangelists. In the Greek, the word evangelist, it just, it means someone who brings good news. Specifically the good news about Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus himself, he not only brought the good news, he started preaching, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Like God is coming. It's going to be good, right? He brought the good news. He was the good news. He was the good news. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Jesus is the good news. So he was an evangelist. Pastors, I think that's a bad translation. Um, the word literally means shepherd. Um, so shepherds are people who care for others, right? You care for people who aren't necessarily strong. Um, that could be people who are just struggling emotionally. It could be people who are sick. It could be our young ones who need guidance, you know, but shepherds, they comfort, they guide, they help heal, they also protect. That's part of what shepherds do. The last one uh, Paul mentions is teachers. That's kind of self-explanatory. Teachers teach, right? And, and Jesus was a great teacher. He was a good rabbi, they called him. The rabbi is a Jewish teacher, and he taught people about God and God's word. And how it applied to their lives. And God gives people to the church to be teachers to help us with that. So these are five ways that God gifts people in the church. And I hope you notice that these five things reflect the ministry of Jesus. Literally, like everything Jesus did, except for the part where he died for our sins and rose from the dead. Like the rest of his earthly ministry can be summarized in these five gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Now, now, why does God give people to do this? So they can develop a following? No, this is not about 
becoming individual celebrities, right? Verse 12 says why. To prepare God's people for works of service. Apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, shepherds, evangelists, they're to equip everybody else to serve. So they also can apostolize and preach and teach and shepherd and stuff. But that's not it. There are more gifts than just that. There's all kinds of different ways that God equips and gifts his people. I just want to show you one verse here. Because I think um, we have a tendency in the church to elevate certain gifts and not other ones. So I want to show you this verse. Uh, this is from Exodus when God had led the people of Israel out of Egypt and they were near Mount Sinai and they needed to build the tabernacle, which was a church tent. All right. So he's given instructions. And he, he says this. See, I have chosen... I'm not even going to pretend I know the right way to say his name. Bezael, something like that. Sure. Son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God. This is a spiritual gift God has given. He's filled him with the spirit of God to do this. With wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs. For work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and engage in all kinds of crafts. This guy had the spiritual gift of craftsmanship. And it goes on and it lists another one. Um, Othemiel, his name is easier for me for some reason. Um, but that's just a few examples. Samson had a spiritual gift of strength to protect people with. Right? There's all kinds of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. Romans 12 lists a bunch. It talks about hospitality and gifts of mercy and gifts of encouragement and serving. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to look at that one in a list. But there's all different ways that God gifts us. And the way he gifts us is so that as we use our gifts, we become unified. And we grow more mature so that we have the fullness of Christ. I didn't make that up. That's actually verse 13 there. We'll look at the whole passage. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, which could look all different ways, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I want to camp on that phrase, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. A few weeks ago, when we were studying Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, that says we are to be filled with the fullness of Christ. And we talked about how that means we're to be filled with the presence of Christ and take it out into the world. Paul wasn't actually saying that individually you are filled with the fullness of Christ. Because not any one of us can be filled and do everything that Christ did. He's saying that together we are filled with the fullness of Christ. 
so that we can fulfill the ministry of Christ. We have apostles that are going and reaching new people. We have evangelists that are just great at explaining the good news of Jesus Christ. We have teachers teaching and and shepherds that are caring for people. We have leaders. We have craftsmen. We have servants. We have handymen. We had a lot of people here yesterday cleaning up. The grounds look much better. Thank you. They did a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. But through all of those things, that we can be Christ to our world. We can do the things Christ did together. Flip with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm flipping the wrong way in my Bible. How's that? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start with verse 14. First Corinthians 12. I, I wish I could read the whole thing, but for the sake of time, I'm not. The whole chapter is a great chapter on spiritual gifts. The first verse says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant. <laughs> Meaning this is important. We should read it. So I hope you take time to read the whole chapter. In verse 7, he says, this is just a verse I want to highlight. He says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's important. It says to each one. That means if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is in you, you have been given a spiritual gift. Nobody gets skipped in this. Each one is given a gift, but not for themselves, for the good of others. All right? All right, let's start in verse 14. Did I tell you 14? Okay. 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, you know, because I'm not an eye, I don't really feel like I belong, it would not, for that reason, be part of the body. Isn't that interesting? Just pause right there. Look, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he has made you part of his body. And you don't get to opt out. You're there. You either recognize you're there and have an important function, or maybe you're like, oh, I'm not as good as that person over there. And so then you're a deadbeat part of the body, but you're there. (laughs) All right. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. 
And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. What does that mean? He's drawing a metaphor from our physical body, and obviously you, you know what that means for your physical body. Your private parts are private because they're special, right? You just don't show them to everybody. What does that mean for a church? Um, many years ago, I was uh, speaking at a seminar about the church and spiritual gifts, and afterwards this woman came up to me, and she said, you know, I'm really struggling because I used, like, I used to do all these things in the church, and I would lead a Bible study, and I was a member of the board, and I, I was involved in all these different things. But now my mom is sick and has dementia, and just t- caring for her is time-consuming, and I don't know that I can keep doing all these other things for the church, but if I don't do them, then I'm like letting my church down and I'm not using my gifts for Jesus Christ and I'm letting Jesus down. And I was like, no, 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 no. You're not failing Jesus. God calls us to different types of service and ministry at different stages of our lives. And sometimes we think leading a ministry is a big honor and it's important. And it is important. But it is even more important that we have people that are modeling humility and sacrificial serving. And honoring our parents. You know, the church has lots of people modeling how to lead. We don't have a lot of people modeling how to serve when there is no personal glory to be gained. And we need that. We need people who model what do healthy boundaries look like in life? Knowing that you're only human and you can only do so much. We need people who model perseverance. Guys, I will, I will always encourage you to give God your very best. To give Him the best of your time, the best of your resources, the best of your abilities. Because He has given you His best. He gave you His Son. He's given you eternal life. So don't give Him your leftovers and your scraps. But I also don't want you to assume that giving God the best of your time and the best of your abilities means you spend a lot of time here. Giving God your best may look like serving God in places where few people will ever see. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that means you have a place of honor in the body of Christ. Let's keep reading. Verse 24, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body in giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the parts of the body, 
but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now each of you are the body of Christ. I'm sorry. Now you are the body of Christ. And each of you is a part of it. This is where we get the idea of church membership. I know there's people that will say, oh, like joining a church and becoming a member. It isn't biblical. There's no place in the Bible where it says you have to join a church and be a member. Well, I don't think those people have really thought through the implications of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or the book of Ephesians. 1 Corinthians 12, it says very clearly, look, if you are a Christian, God has made you part of his body. You are a member. But you can't be an effective member unless you commit to working with other members. Right? And so theoretically, we can say, oh, yes, I'm part of the body of Christ and the global body of Christ. But practically, we need to decide, okay, I, I need a group of other Christians to live this out with. And that's what church membership is all about. It's just about like, okay, this is the group. These are the other Christians. And it's owning that I'm a vital part of the body of Christ. And you're a vital part. And you are a vital part. And you are a vital part. And so I commit to you and you commit to me. And together we hold each other accountable. And we encourage one another. We strengthen one another. It says... We also mourn with one another and celebrate one another. So together we are the body of Christ. Remember, Christ conceived you in his mind, right? He desired you. He designed you. He destined you for a good purpose. But you can't fulfill that purpose on your own. On our own, we will always use our gifts and our ability and our design for our own selfish means. And when we understand that, oh, I'm broken, my selfishness does hurt people. And we ask Jesus to come and save us and live in us and we just... Said, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I, I want to live like Jesus did. And his spirit comes in us. The spirit of God begins to restore us back to the way God originally designed us. And fix those gifts. So they're, we no longer use them for ourselves, but we use them for God's glory. And he gives us more gifts. But even then, you cannot achieve God's purpose for your life alone. Because God did not design you to work and pay bills and muddle through the week and amuse yourself with entertainment. He designed you to help transform this world. And the only thing that really transforms this world for good is Jesus Christ. And you cannot be Jesus Christ on your own. I can't be Jesus Christ on my own. But together, we can. Together we are the body of Christ and we can be the hope of the world. This next Sunday after the worship service, we're going to start a membership class. 
And I think it's going to go for two weeks. Um, we'll, we'll meet from 11.30 to 1.30 and lunch will be provided. And, and it's a time for anyone who is interested or curious to come and find out more about the church and what we believe and to ask questions. And I, I think we can do that in two Sundays. If there's a lot of people, we might have to go to a third Sunday. But um, it's just a time to investigate. And then at the end, if you decide, yeah, this is the right group of believers for me to commit to and have them commit to me and going to be the body of Christ together, then that's wonderful. We would love to have you join us. If this is not the church for you, I just want to encourage you, you have to find a church somewhere. You have to commit somewhere to being the body of Christ because you will never achieve God's full and good purpose for your life without it. Today we have an opportunity to celebrate Chris. Oh, goodness. Chris Pross. I want you to come on up, Chris. She is getting baptized. She's been a part of this church for quite a while. And she is re- has realized um, she needs to take some intentional steps in her walk with Jesus Christ. So uh, can you get mic number four to work for me? Uh, come over here, Chris. And the worship team, you guys can come too. But we have an opportunity to celebrate her as she is an intentional in some of her next steps. Do you have a towel? (laughs) Logistics, right? I need somebody on the team who knows how to turn this mic on. (laughs) Thank you. So baptism is an intentional step we take in our walk with the Lord. Um, Because he was baptized, he set that example for us. And it's part of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. All right, Chris, this water is cold. So um, I'm going to ask you all the questions here before you get in the water. How's that sound? Okay. First, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to share why you're being baptized today. And I'm going to have you turn this way so they can see you because they all want to see you. All right, there you go. Okay. Um, when pastor first made the uh, the sermon about baptism before that I had was raised in the Catholic Church I had been baptism as an infant I had never ever thought about being baptized I figured that was good enough um, I'd been saved a long time ago I figured you know that was good enough but her sermon just just opened my heart to I needed to take this step to be baptized to complete my walk with Jesus Christ. Thank you. 
walk with Jesus Christ is is about obedience, isn't it? And there are intentional steps we take. I think baptism, it's a thing a lot of people think, well, why do I need to go through this step of being baptized? There are things that when we do, just because God tells us to do them, he honors it, and his spirit works in ways that we never fully understand. And I totally believe the Holy Spirit is working through your baptism, and you will receive spiritual blessing through your baptism. And I'm so glad we get to be a part of it. I'm going to have you come around here, Chris. And step in, and I want you facing that way, okay? Because they, that way. Yeah, most of the people are that way. Sorry. <laughs> Board, we are going to talk about getting a water heater, okay? Here we go. Let's just step over. All right. Chris, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior who died for your sins to give you new life? I do. All right. Go ahead and sit down. Really? <laughs> we'll do it quick, all right? Can I take your glasses? Oh, yeah. I don't do gold. (laughs) Give your body a minute to adjust to the temperature. No? Are you ready? Nope. Nope. Okay. 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 Chris, having heard your confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. you out (laughs) thank you thank you Cheryl (laughs) all right thank you will you join me in a prayer a blessing for Chris Heavenly Father, we thank you for Chris and for your work in her life. God, we thank you um, that no matter how old we are, you always have something new for us and new to show us. And we pray that like Chris will have courage, no matter our age, no matter what we've been through, to take that next step in our walk with you that you're leading us to do. We pray your Holy Spirit just fill Chris and empower her. Fill her with all the gifts of your spirit, the fruits of your spirit, Lord. And we thank you for her. And we pray that as you bless her, she will even be a blessing to others. And God, you, we pray you help all of us find where we belong in the body of Christ. 
and that we will be a church that values each and every member of this body, whether they are a presentable part or an unpresentable part. And we will honor and encourage and mourn with and celebrate with one another. Not for our glory, but for yours. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.